Yeah, no, no, no. You're not confused or anything. Uh, we did miss a week. Uh, a, a surprise week vacation was taken, but we're back uh, to talk about Woody Allen on the Overnight Scape Central. I, of course, MPQ River, your host for this ongoing collaboratorium of ideas, uh, commentary, and uh, fun and absurdity as well. And uh, what we are talking about this week is the filmmaker comedian Woody Allen. Is he known at all as a comedian? Well, we're going to find out uh, right here on this very show. And with me this week is Chad Bowers and, of course, Frank Edward Nora uh, together. Um, And just coincidentally, uh, I think it was today, um, Alec Baldwin interviewed Woody Allen. Frank saw it. I have not seen it myself, but Frank said that, uh, well, I would can you imagine Alec Baldwin and Woody Allen like going at it in a confrontational interview? No, they, uh, interestingly, it sounds like the best part of it was Woody talking about the classic comedians, W.C. Fields, uh, those 30s comedians that really are on the very edge of being forgotten forever. Uh, But ironically, he was one of those great, that style of absurd comedy. And unless I have missed something, he hasn't done a film like that in 30 years. Whatever the case, those comedies that he made still are pretty good. The essays the man wrote for The New Yorker, while he was nowhere near as prolific as an S.J. Perelman, they are marvelous. Uh, just recently, I was reading through the Side Effects book. Um, Woody, well, let's see what our hosts have to say. And of course, I will add my two cents as we roll along. Join us. And uh, starting off, we're going to hear from Chad Bowers. Let's listen here together. Willie Woodrow Marcel Ledbetter Allen was a filmmaker. Still is quite a filmmaker. We call him Woody Allen. He was born uh, under the name Alan Stewart Konigsberg back there in 1935 in the Bronx, New York. You know, he wasn't a great student, Woody, but he uh, was a heck of a baseball player, and he loved card games. He wanted to be a magician. He became a joke writer at an early age, and in fact, uh, by the age of 15... He was participating in NBC's writer development program. He made about $25 a week back then, which is uh, like $272 a week now. In 1977, he was struck by this vision, a vision for the way that modern intellectual women could dress, could carry themselves, and could talk. And he turned all of this into a movie called Annie Hall. He chose Diane Keaton to demonstrate this uh, new attitude and uh, this new way of wearing hats. And uh, it was basically about their relationship. He claims that her nickname was Annie. She claims that it was not. 
But uh, it's much better than the other name of the movie. It was going to be Rhinoplasty Gone Wrong, and the studio just uh, could not let it pass. They would not give him a pass on that. It's a very funny film, so I hope that uh, you'll watch Annie Hall. I hope you'll enjoy it, too. It's called by the Writers Guild of America, the funniest screenplay ever written. And now for radio TV film majors like myself, it was required viewing because uh, Marshall McLuhan makes a cameo in the film. And um, it's symbolically warned by the audience from his appearance to the end of the film's credits. It's um, palpable when you're in the theater. The film has um, a lot of long shots. The uh, average movie in the early 70s, about four seconds per shot. And uh, this one was more like 14, so it kind of lingered scene by scene to really let you uh, feel as though you were there and you're observing cues from the environment. There's a somewhat famous scene in here of Diane and Woody, both at their therapist. They're separated. It looks for all the world like a split screen. But in reality, they just built the set that way. That wall between those two different offices is not a graphic. It's just the set. And so they filmed it all at the same time with the same camera. Uh, there's a fourth reason to see this film. Um, and I think that you will... Uh, Appreciate it when you see it, because you will understand that uh, split screen isn't necessarily the scream scene. Now, the third way that you should see this film is that you should go dressed as Diane Keaton, and you should study the, uh, the way she talks. This is an instruction manual. Now, Alan had done a film called uh, Radio Days over there in 1987. Celebrates the classic age of radio. All of us here at the Onsog are old-time radio fans, so I think that 1987's Radio Days might be a good place to start. It's a quick 90-something minute film, very concise. It gets in and out like a Tyson blow to the dome. Back up, son. Give me room. But uh, it will entertain you. And you can see lovely people in the film that uh, Woody Allen himself finds sexually attractive. This is one of the joys of watching Woody Allen movies is that you get to uh, partake in this nebbish man's sexuality while you watch the films. So every scene of that film, um, it's completely fresh. You know, the love for the golden age of radio is shown in such a way that it avoids totally fan service, symbolic tropes of the age. It's the opposite of what Disney has done with Star Wars. This is uh, a film 
that just about every scene captures the feeling of being a part of the world in which old-time radio took place. It's so naturally constructed and holistically constructed that despite not shoving specific names and faces or symbols into uh, your peepers, it just allows you to absorb as though you were a fly on the wall in the golden age of radio. Now, Woody himself is not in this film, but his voice is, and he's giving you sort of a Wonder Years-like description of what's going on, kind of helping along with the story. I think all of us onsuggers can appreciate that. Woody appearing in this film, not only a love letter to the golden age of radio, but also he takes part as a monologist, and his performance is purely audio in this film. Just the power of the voice telling a story, something to see. Now, there's another film that you must see by Woody Allen. And some of the recent ones, let's uh, go ahead and mention, are fantastic. You know, the, the Midnight in Paris, the, uh, the one about tennis. can't remember that one, but uh, yeah, there's so many. You know, this man has made so many films. One that uh, I would like to recommend is Manhattan from 1979. It's really a bittersweet ode to young women and promiscuity. The film tackles this subject uh, without passing judgment or without preaching to the audience and is something to be commended for that. You know, an early one from uh, the early 70s was Sleeper. Woody Allen played the character Miles Monroe, a jazz musician. He owned the Happy Carrot health food store. And now he goes in for a little operation. And next thing you know, he wakes up. It's the year 2173. If man is still alive, if woman can survive, no need to tell the truth, no need to lie. Everything you think, do, and say is in that little pill you took today. You ain't going to need no teeth. You're not going to need no eyes. You won't find a thing to chew. Nobody's going to look at you. Your arms hang limp beside your sides and your legs do nothing. Some machine does that for you. You won't need no husband. You won't need no wife. You pick your son and daughter too from the bottom of a glass tube. And they may find Vincent Canby, a stalwart member of the film Intelligentsia, saying really good things about this movie. In fact, he uh, confidently announced that it was the best slide slapstick since Laurel and Hardy had left the scene. It's the kind of film he said that no one in Hollywood has made for years. Now, Roger Ebert, on the other hand, had mouth surgery and they removed half of his face. He was thereafter unable to comment on this film. But not many people know this. Here's a um, kind of a rare fact about Woody Allen. Uh, Woody Allen 
is actually Jewish. He was born to Jewish parents, and uh, you may not have noticed, but a lot of his comedy appreciates the Jewish contributions to our 20th and 21st century uh, comedic stylings in general. You know, the, the comedic style of the modern age is essentially Jewish. And a lot of people don't know that. Uh, a lot of people don't know about his comedy career that he started in. Uh, the fantastic films that he's made, both comedies and serious, artful, adult, dramedy-type films. People don't understand or see under that bald head his uh, jungle cat-like sexuality. And he also wrote the following short story about Dracula. Woody Allen writes, Somewhere in Transylvania, Dracula, the monster, sleeps in his coffin, waiting for the night to fall. Exposure to the sun's rays would surely cause him to perish. He stays protected, a satin-lined chamber, bearing his family name on top in silver. Then the moment of darkness comes. Through some miraculous instinct, the fiend emerges from the safety of his hiding place. And assuming the rather hideous forms of bat or wolf, he prowls the countryside, drinking the blood of victims here, drinking the blood of victims there, gulping blood under trees, under the moon. Every night, before the first raids of his arch enemy, the sun, come announce themselves with the beginning of a new day, we see Dracula hurry back to this little hidden coffin, and he sleeps. And as the cycle begins anew, he starts to stir. A slight fluttering of his eyelids, a response to some age-old, unexplainable instinct, lust for blood, young blood, tells him the sun is nearly down and it's time. Tonight, he's particularly hungry. He lays there fully awake now, in his red-lined Inverness cape and tails, waiting to feel with uncanny perception the precise moment darkness descends upon the land, in which time he'll fling the lid open and emerge. He decides who this evening's victim shall be. The baker and his wife, Mr. and Mrs. Baker. He thinks to himself the succulent, available, unsuspecting little darlings, this couple, unwary as to who they could trust and not trust, carefully cultivates in his mind until it starts to ravage his system to a fever pitch of bloodlust. He can barely hold back, bursting for climbing out of the coffin to seek his prey. He knows the sun is down, and like an angel of hell, he rises swiftly, changing into the hideous shape of a bat, flies to the cottage of his tantalizing victims. Why, Count Dracula, what a lovely surprise, the baker's wife, Mrs. Baker, says, opening the door to admit him. 
Dracula has, of course, resumed human form as he enters their home, charmingly concealing his rapacious goals. What brings you here so early, the baker asks. Our dinner date, the count answers. I hope I have not made an error. You did invite me tonight, didn't you? Yes, yes, tonight, but that's not for another seven hours. Pardon me, Dracula queries, looking around the room, puzzled. Or did you come to watch the eclipse with us, Dracula? Yes, 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 today is the total eclipse, isn't it? A few moments of darkness from noon until two minutes after. Pass out the window. Oh boy, I'm in trouble. And now, if you'll excuse me, no, Count, don't go. Stay and watch the eclipse. We've got food from tonight. Dracula frantically fumbles for the doorknob. Don't go, Drac. You just got here. Yes, yes, but, but I think I blew it very badly. I'm in need of some fresh air. It's lovely seeing you two. Oh, Drac, come on, sit down, have a drink. Drink, no, no, I must run. Wine, oh, no, I gave it up for my liver and all that. You know, I really must buzz off. I, I, I think I left the lights on in the castle. The, the bill will be enormous. Please, says the baker with his, around around, his arm around Kent Jock Dracula. You're not intruding. You Don't be so polite. You're just early. Really, I, I'd like to stay, but old Romanian counts across town, and I'm, I'm responsible for the cold cuts. There's a party. Uh, rush, rush, rush. I need to be off. Uh... But, Count, I'm making rice pilaf tonight. I really hope you like it. Oh, I, I knew. I knew I would love it. Yes, I, I, I would love it. I would love it, see? But, uh, but no, I have to go. It seems strange, but... Here I am, having a ball. I was just saying to Mrs. Hess the other day, give me a good closet, and I'll stand in it for hours. Please, can I stand in your closet? Oh, Dracus. That's strange. It just, it just never would have guessed you'd want to stand in the closet. No, Dracula, we can't let you. I, I have Kool-Aid fixed in the next room. Come, come have a glass. Come on out, Dracula. Come on out, please. It's red Kool-Aid, the very best flavor. The baker's wife was getting really impatient. She got on the phone to a friend. Now Dracula's standing in the closet. Really? asked the mayor on the telephone. Let's go, says the baker with mock humor as he knocks on the closet door. Enough is enough, Dracula. The mayor's here. Come on out. Some eclipse today, the mayor says, sipping from his glass. Yes, the baker agrees. Incredible. Yeah, thrilling, says a voice from the closet.
What's that, Dracula? Nothing, nothing. Let it go. And so some time passes until the mayor can stand it no longer. Forcing the door open to the closet, he shouts, Come on, Dracula! I always thought you were a mature man. Stop this craziness. The daylight streamed in, causing the evil monster to shriek and slowly dissolve into a skeleton, and then to dust before the eyes of the people present. Leaning down to the pile of white ash on the closet floor, the mayor says, Does this mean dinner's off? Thank you, Woody Allen. Nice one. And you covered a lot of bases. I myself have not seen a lot of his later films. I mean, I was just such a... And his early stuff, I mean, I guess I'm a little older. I, I'm the eldest present on Sugian for this gathering. And uh, I remember probably the first Woody Allen movie I saw I went to see in the movies because I'd seen it advertised on TV and it was Bananas and then came Sleeper if I'm not mistaken and somewhere along the line I got to see Take the Money and Run and all of these I saw in an actual movie theater because that's how you there was no VHS uh, Woody Allen movies uh, I don't think they were shown on television very much I mean they may have uh, slid them in someplace but he wasn't famous until the aforementioned Annie Hall which while I concede it is a great piece of filmmaking it's maybe more commercially well constructed. I mean, Bananas is a mess. His early films are a little sloppy. But very quickly, he developed a proper cinematic presentation that made his films more than viable. And uh, probably since the early 70s, when he started on his Ingmar Bergman period, which is the only period of his uh, movies that I've never really been able to embrace. Things like interiors and the very serious dramas. Uh, he did a few with me. Just awful uh, to me I mean, to watch and sit there. They're not bad, and maybe as an older person, I should revisit them because I'm sure they're not bad movies. I just was in an expectation head that was not going to embrace it, I think, is what happened with all of that. Um, those early ones, though, and he would be on TV on variety shows, so I probably saw him there because uh, I was, you know, any comedy I could see or hear. So every variety show on TV, there would be a comedian, a special guest star, you know, and uh, I'm sure I saw some of his appearances, and he did a TV special or a t short-lived TV series that a specimen was on YouTube that I haven't watched yet. It's, it's the, the Woody Allen rabbit hole is deep and thick. And then, of course, well, there's the scandal, but that's I'm sure we'll get to that at some point in the proceedings. Uh, 
you know that 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 becomes material uh in a lot of ways especially since today uh i would think that there are a lot of young people you mentioned the name and the filmmaking is a secondary thing to the quote-unquote scandal which i I'm not belaboring it, but we'll see how it rolls because uh, uh, we only have one other uh, contributor this week, but it is, of course, Frank Edward Nora. I mean, if this stirs something up in you, we can have follow-ups, and uh, that would be good uh, if if you... Woody Allen is a topic I think... uh, we should, as long as we are acknowledging him, we should have a little fun with. So, uh, yes, there's that. Uh, but meanwhile, let's see what Frank Edward Nora has for us. Yeah, I, I, I've been looking into Woody Allen quite a bit because this is not an easy topic. I, I thought it would be an easy topic to talk about Woody Allen, but it is actually a very complicated topic. I mean, Woody Allen... Uh, when you think about certain celebrities or artists, right, it, it's fairly easy to kind of, oh, that's a musician, they had a band, or this is an actor, or this is a director. But Woody Allen kind of spans um, every kind of major artist, celebrity, uh, a, a archetype of the 20th century. I mean, uh, he's he's more of everything, I think, in one person uh, I can't think of anyone else that sort of spans as much, as many aspects as Woody Allen does. So it's kind of hard to pin down or figure out what's going on here. Um, I, I think that uh, in his, as an actor, right, his, his his persona, his distinctive look and his distinctive way of talking um, sort of put him in the world of uh, you know, celebrities from the earlier 20th century, you know, like W.C. Fields or Jimmy Stewart or s- someone that's easy to imitate and has a very distinctive, you know, as I said, look and voice and really feels like an, like a part of that old Hollywood world, right? Um, he's also uh, sort of, I think, the quintessential, uh, you know, n- New Yorker intellectual, but then also sort of he has that nebbish character, right, where he's sort of unassuming and he's sort of like this neurotic nebbish. What is a nebbish? It's like this. I I, I don't know if uh, if nebbishes are really a thing anymore. You know, sort sort of uh, a sort of ineffectual, uh, you know, just overly intellectual kind of awkward people. Um, and. Uh, and that and that made him incredibly likable, you know, because um, one, one interpretation because I've I've been watching Alan V. Farrow because I've been diving into all this stuff, and obviously, you know that that's another aspect of uh, you know the celebrity scandal culture that really became a big thing in the '90s. I know it's always been a big thing, but celebrity scandals, his is you know a big one. Obviously, um, the idea that um, Woody Allen kind of, uh, in, in his on-screen persona, kind of, uh, with all of his flaws, neuroses, and, 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 and worrying about things, anxiety, that he's, uh, he sort of represents, everyone can kind of relate to him, because everyone has that kind of stuff inside of them, 
And he's putting it on the screen in this kind of likable way. Um, and he is an, an incredibly likable uh, persona. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that's not just, again, he's not just an actor, but he's a writer and director, a very good filmmaker. He writes the movies, he directs the movies, most of the, many of the movies he acts in. Um, he's just an all-around, I mean, really incredibly talented person. And in that sense, I think that he can represent a bit of the American dream. As far as I can tell, reading about his early life as Alan Konigsberg, he uh, he was not, I don't think he had a rich or influential upbringing. Mia Farrow, of course, who was his uh, girlfriend and who he had several children with, biological and adopted, and of course was central to the celebrity scandal. She was from a uh, a filmmaking family, I think Maureen O'Dowd or Maureen Sullivan was her mother, an actor. Her father was a director, so she was from that world. But he was, I wouldn't, I don't know if he was poor, but he certainly wasn't in a, he was in sort of a poor or middle class upbringing in Brooklyn, born in 1935. Um, but he he represents in a way, the American dream that you, you you come from humble beginnings, but due to your talent, right, the idea of a meritocracy, you, you rise up and uh, become a top-level celebrity, incredibly wealthy, incredibly influential. Worldwide fame, obviously, uh, massive, massive respect due to his filmmaking abilities. Also great at other arts. He's a, he's an author, writer, playwright, uh, mus- mu- somewhat of a musician, uh, right? All of these sorts of things. And again, coming back to sort of a New York intellectual world, um, being sort of the, the paragon of that sort of thing. Um, so in a way, he sort of had it all. And then in 1992... Uh, enormous celebrity scandal that he's involved with. Um, very complicated story. And I've been watching Alan V. Farrow, which is on HBO. I hadn't seen it before. Um, I was kind of of the mind of... I, I had heard the uh, the surface details of it that uh, he had um, fallen in love with Mia Farrow's... How he described it as Mia Farrow's adult daughter, Soon Yi. They call her Soon Yi in the document. Not Soon Yi, but Soon Yi. Um, and there's, they're actually married. They got married in, I think, 97, and they're still married to, to this day. There also were allegations that he uh, you know, sexually abused, uh, actually, his he adopted uh, Dylan. She was seven years old, and he, he had sexually abused her. He vigorously fought against those, those charges. And that's really all I knew. I, I didn't really delve any deeper into it. I think, like a lot of people, I really liked Woody Allen, and, you know, I heard the, the news about it and, you know, I was kind of torn because this is sort of like, you know, you love Woody Allen's movies, you like the persona you see on screen, but, you know, hearing this stuff, you're, you're starting to see the beginnings of kind of like, wow, you know, this guy in real life, you know, there's some, there's some stuff going on, but... Um, I didn't realize, I, I'm about halfway through Alan V. Farrow, that, uh, you know, that was just sort of the story that was spun by Woody Allen and his lawyers, that he wanted everyone. Because, you know, you know the average person isn't going to 
dig too deeply into it. They're just going to read the headlines and hear the, the top talking points. Um, what from what I've seen, I mean, I, it, it paints a very different picture of a very kind of uh, disturbed person, right? And his relationship with these children, especially Dylan, was was very inappropriate. Not just one incident, but there was a whole pattern of incidents which I had not been aware of, right? Now, again, this this brings us to an important question. You know, can we can we obviously in recent years the Me Too movement and really trying to I think a couple ways. I think that uh, um, <clears throat> right the uh, the the idea of powerful men using their power and position to be able to sexually abuse people, children, or whoever, and get away with it, right, in, in, in the non-consensual way, has been sort of uh, an epidemic, or it's described as sort of very widespread, even like the casting room couch, where it, it, is it consensual, is it not consensual? It's like a very, obviously, uh, a major issue that, you know, in, in society... So he's sort of caught up in that. But then again, the celebrity scandal uh, had, had, has become sort of an, an, an integral part of our pop culture, unfortunately. And, this, and, and, and so he sort of was super involved in a, a major celebrity scandal, which is why, in a way, that, that more fully rounds him as this sort of ultimate celebrity in some ways, that he's sort of so many aspects of a celebrity. Um, I'm at the part in Alan V. Farrow where he's fighting back against these charges, and 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 in this and and in a way making it much worse because he's deliberately trying to destroy Mia Farrow in the process, uh, saying that she coached Dylan to say these things and that. Uh, you know that 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 she's an unfit mother, and this is you know a tactic used in a lot of cases by uh, men, fathers that are accused of sexual abuse and, and things like that. Um, which really does not; it's it sort of at odds with our what we hope would be Woody Allen's uh, actual personality. We don't. I don't know Woody Allen. Most people do not know Woody Allen. We know him on the screen, which is obviously. A character. It's not. It, it's based on him, but it's a character. So, <laughs> this is our essential struggle in in today's world. Can we separate the artist, the art from the artist? Can we say he is an incredible? He's a great. And I, I've always been a huge fan of Woody Allen. You know, I, I mean, I feel like to me, you know, I I uh, I relate greatly with the that New York intellectual type of, um, you know, uh, persona. Uh, I, I, I definitely gravitate towards it. You know, I, um, you know, like to me, like a Dick Cavett is another person in that, in that vein who I don't think, right? Dick Cavett has, is, listen, I don't know Dick Cavett. Maybe he's a terrible person in his personal life, but I'm a huge fan of his, him as a TV personality, right? Um, so he's been very influential on me. I do think that um, his persona or persona, his way of speaking, has definitely influential has been very influential on me. You know, I feel like uh, 
you know, I, I've 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 grown up hearing these these the voices of comedians and people around me at work and stuff, especially in New York, a lot of Italian and Jewish personalities, and I think that you know when I started doing the uh, the overnightscape my show, you know, it's it's sort of I'm I'm speaking as I would speak, but then I think that because it's a show, I kind of it was ne- nothing ever calculated, but I do think that I sort of. Um, adopt side kind of a a speech pattern that's a little bit exaggerated from what I normally would and I and I do think there's a, a quite a bit of Woody Allen in there you know based on you know my just observing and listening to him and others with a similar New York uh, Jewish or Italian um speech pattern so I think he's been very influential um <clears throat> definitely you know and I think so many people look at him and, and, and very much identify with him. The question is, can we separate, separate listen, this person is an artist, you know, like the, the, their purpose is to, they're, they're creating art, in this case, making movies, is the art of cinema, right? You know, at what point do, we, do I need to know what's going on behind the scenes? Kind of like that class, you know, you don't want to know what goes into, goes into a hot dog or what goes into a sausage. You just enjoy it at the end. You know, well, I don't, I'm a vegan, but you know what I'm saying? Um, do we need to know uh, what's going on behind the scenes? In this case, it's complicated because it's not like, you know, let's say there's a painter and you enjoy seeing the paintings. You're not really necessarily getting a lot of that personality, how the person talks or how they look or anything. But, <coughs> but in the case of Woody Allen... The essence of his celebrity and his art is him. He, the way he looks, the way he talks, the things he talks about. Oh, yeah, we're off to the races. The scandal. Oh, and I am... It, well, here, I'm going to give you the quick take on how I feel about the scandal and this TV sh- Unfortunately, the TV show Frank is watching before one frame was shot they already knew what their aim was i don't consider it any more even-handed than um what woody allen's lawyers put out so uh if you're trying yeah you want to see both sides of it but the way i look at it i mean social services doesn't mess around the police and the court system doesn't mess around uh People, even on that echelon, if there is genuine evidence, I I like to think I could be wrong, and I I feel like I don't want to feel I'm defending. I mean, I don't know what Woody Allen did, and I have no the that I always looked at what happened with his, and as far as I know, that none of Mia Farrow's adopted children are adopted by Woody Allen or his children, nor was he a parent of these children, was my understanding, and I could be wrong. That could also be a spin that Woody Allen's lawyers put out. But to address the actual topic, it's hard. And this is the trick of being a celebrity. I mean, once you're out there, uh, yeah, you better watch your ass because... 
that's part of the trade-off of fame the way I see it. If you decide you're going to pursue fame, I mean, the first thing you have to understand right out of the box almost before anything else is, if you achieve this, everyone is going to want to dig. You, and you're going to have competitors who are going to want to do this, that, and the other that might not be so much fun. Uh, it's This is, to be a public figure... You stick your head up above the horizon line, people are going to throw stuff at you, and it happens in almost every... If you're a politician, whatever you do, you step up, and that's part of what happens, and it's going to happen, and you can't like say, well, that's not fair, because that's what happens, I think. The deep philosophical thoughts of P.Q. River, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but Woody, yeah, I. If all of these allegations are true, let let's let's go that way because that's a way I normally wouldn't think. But it's it is possible. I mean, it is possible that he may have somehow had access and been doing stuff with this wife of his before she was of age uh let's assume that the worst of the accusations and the worst we can because this is hollywood let i mean i i'm not that obtuse hollywood people and show business people from even farther back live a different lifestyle and I don't know. That's why people didn't want their children marrying show business people and would actually disown them if they did such a thing. And that was such a trope uh, going back like pre-World War II. I mean, after World War II, the celebrity, maybe because they raised money and the patriotic thing transcended that, that's an interesting thought. Hold that thought, or at least note it, because I doubt I will follow up on it because we're talking about Woody Allen. But something, so John Philip Sousa, from what they say, has an incredible number of illegitimate children all over the United States because his marching band constantly toured at the turn of the last century into the 20s and uh he was in a uh, physical demand I and mean, groupies isn't something new that came up in 1966 or something uh, women wanting to be with that guy on the stage or that guy who's famous and i suppose the same go how many guys do you know who would like give a finger for a night with madonna or whoever the madonna equivalent is in their generational uh, uh desires i mean boy in the day we had farrah fawcett but that's all besides the point and what is the point woody allen made great films and may have been is he a roman polanski i suppose in a way maybe i i just don't know and i have no answer at this point so i will hand the baton back to frank
And in that sense, you feel like you're getting to know him. So you have to now separate. This is the Woody Allen I know as a as a character, a caricature, or as a as a character. Um, does it really matter what he's like in real life, right? And I think this is the essential thing we've been dealing with in a lot of cases. A lot of artists. Um, I even saw this recently in uh, the, the tarot card uh, area, a, a group on on Facebook, where I think I guess there was a tarot deck that was featuring images of David Bowie, and some people were. Don't mention David Bowie. He's an abuser. So there was some some issue with David Bowie. Again, the same thing. Uh, uh, abusing or influence or having you know a relationship with a, a an underage girl. You know. Um, and the question is, with someone like David Bowie, do you say? Again, you don't know him. You enjoy his music. You enjoy the visuals of his videos and his acting, right? I mean, uh, what is the impact of finding out that, you know, these these guys have done these, or anyone that does terrible things behind the scenes, you know? Should you stop listening to the music? Does it, does it matter? I mean, uh, at some point, you know, we can't necessarily, uh, you know, I, I, I think that at one level you could say, no, it doesn't matter. The art is what matters. But then, on the other hand, it does seem that the uh, the the wealth and the power and then the power structures someone is involved with once they their art is recognized and they and they become famous and they become rich that they they're then an, a, a more enabled to uh, to abuse people by the system and. In that situation, if they go ahead and do it, not to say I don't believe, I really don't believe that everyone, every, everyone given the opportunity would just become a terrible person. But if they go ahead and take advantage of that, it's like partially your money that you paid them and the attention you gave them that's sort of enabling this sort of behavior. That's where it gets difficult to separate the art from the artist, right? And and you could see in Alan V. Farrow, even uh, the guy that was in New York City investigating the child abuse claim, higher-ups in the New York City government like were trying to stop him and actually fired him because he wouldn't stop the investigation. And that, in, in, into the child abuse allegation against Woody Allen, against uh, his daughter Dylan. So, I mean, this is really you know, a case of, of a power structure. How, how, how can you influence the New York City government? Well, Woody Allen can, you know, to, to, to quote-unquote get away with it, right? But uh, one, one thing I, I do have to bring up at, at this point is, is a sort of a conspiracy theory. The idea that, um, right, there's uh, oligarchs or Illuminati kind of exercising control over society and culture and the world as a theory, right? And that one of the methods they use is a sort of a trauma-based mind control. And with this in mind, uh, the narratives, the stories that are in the news uh, that can affect people, that can traumatize people, are very valuable to them 
for control. Again, this is just all a theory that um, someone as beloved and as important as a filmmaker and someone as a, as a, a persona people relate to, for him to be pulled into this kind of a child sexual abuse scandal uh, is traumatic. <clears throat> and as demonstrated by this very recording, you really can't talk about Woody Allen without talking about this really very difficult subject. The idea that what if it was all scripted and uh, created, not by Woody Allen or Mia Farrow, but by those that they're sort of beholden to, right? There's uh, many theories that there's some sort of group that you sort of become associated with when you get to that level of fame and that you have to agree all of the things that you're getting, the uh, the, the, the money, the fame, and everything else, that you have to uh, sometimes fall on your sword if you're asked to. And watching Alan V. Farrow, um, it, it, it feels a bit like this it it just suggested to me that it that it might have been this kind of thing that um these were two people that seemed to have it all right i mean mia farrow herself was a very famous actor uh and celebrity before she met woody allen long before she was actually married to frank sinatra you know so she was she was in the thick of it and again her parents were insiders hollywood insiders um this is not to say that the that the alleged actions didn't take place, but just to say that the the sequence of events and how it was made public, and and how valuable it would be to create a, to traumatize people, especially with Woody Allen as a unique personality, for him to now become <clears throat> uh, you're associating it with him. Um, it just it just strikes me as a possibility. Of course, it could have all just happened naturally. I mean, the way that there's I mean, actually, Alan V. Farrow is very well made. Um, they're they're just sort of <clears throat> it was just weird because Mia Farrow had all these kids, uh, m many of them adopted. It sort of strikes a question: Well, why? But apparently, she uh, she claims because she had polio. And fully recovered, she felt like she, you know she wanted to pay back the world in some way and relieve suffering. And at that time, seeing all of the orphans from Vietnam that needed a home, her and her then husband and Andre Previn kind of started adopting kids. Anyway, the whole thing is very the whole the whole story from beginning to end is very bizarre. Um, <clears throat> but again, if and again, this is just my from my perception of these theories. I don't know that anyone else particularly said this. I have I haven't really looked, but um, that even f more fully rounds it that he's sort of celebrity scandals, conspiracy theories, and he sort of spans all this stuff. And he's still around. He's still making movies. In fact, I uh, I had kind of not you know I have not seen every Woody Allen movie by any stretch of the imagination, but I just saw there was a movie he made in 2020, which may have been released later than 2020 because of the pandemic. Uh, Rifkin's Festival, which I started watching, uh, starring Wallace Shawn, you know, from uh, My Dinner with Andre. He's the guy that was having dinner with Andre. <laughs> it was his dinner with Andre. Uh, he's, uh, 
he's the lead character, a guy who's uh, going to this film festival and his wife is a publicist. So it's very, very, I don't think Woody Allen's in it. I think he stopped being in his movies. Um, but yeah, it seemed all right. I started watching it. Um, so he's still around. He's still doing stuff. And uh, I think it was in recent years it, it, with the Me Too movement and everything that, that they tried to ultimately take him down. But, and I think he did lose a deal with Amazon Prime or something like that. But he's still going. As if, you know, in 1992, he quote-unquote got away with it. That now with these, the new world, should he should we revisit this this matter? To re-traumatize everyone. But anyway, uh, what about his actual work? You know, so... Um, it's funny because he was in the very first uh, James Bond movie. I think it was the first James Bond movie, right? I may be wrong, but it was uh, Casino Royale, which was not one of the main James Bond movies. It was like a spoof, kind of like the Austin Powers of his time. And I think he played some sort of a villain or something. But, um, and then he made that movie, What's Up, Tiger Lily, where, where he took a Japanese spy movie and redubbed it to make it something different. But, I think like the early films like uh, Bananas and and Sleeper, right? Uh, Take the Money and Run. Th- those were sort of the late '60s, early '70s uh, movies of his that were much more comedies, right? And uh, and I and I th- I think I've seen the, I think I've seen those. It hasn't been a while since I've seen any of those movies, but they're very good and very funny. And of course, his persona is front and center. He stars in those movies. Uh, but then in, in 1977, you get. Uh, Annie Hall, which is, I think, uh, a movie I absolutely love. And I know it beat Star Wars for Best Picture in 1977 for the Academy Awards. I think it deserves it. It is just, it is a remarkable movie. It seems to be very autobiographical. Um, It's uh, just so well done. Overall, a remarkable movie. And, you know, again, I think that when it comes to this question of separating the artist from the art, you know, Annie Hall is so good. I wouldn't want to like not watch it again because of these scandals. But of course, I mean, it's going to somewhat affect your enjoyment of it. That this, you know, the Woody Allen character is just, what is he doing in his private life? Anyway, uh, but, but then again, I think that not to really dwell on this topic, but that, uh, you know, we should, uh, I don't know if there's ever a clear answer, but I know that we can't hold, we can't imagine that every artist that we like, whatever type of art they're creating, is a perfect person, an angelic character behind the scenes. Everyone has flaws and and, and they have, uh, you know, problems, obviously, but I think, as I mentioned, if, if the power related to being a celebrity is enabling certain behaviors, and that obviously takes it to another level. But anyway, um, another thing they point out a lot in, in Alan V. Farrow is uh, his uh, <clears throat> Woody Allen's tendency to sort of write about and obviously fantasize about um, older men having uh, relationships with, with younger women. As his next movie, Manhattan, points out, 
It's about a, a 42-year-old comedian or whoever, whatever character is in the movie Manhattan, has, who has a 17-year-old girlfriend, Mar- Mariel Hemingway. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it does seem to, to be an obsession of his. And uh, I also noticed, like, in, like, for example, Steely Dan, and you could say that Donald Fagan is is probably in a similar intellectual persona. It seems to be sort of preoccupied with older men having relationships with uh, younger women, especially like in songs like um, Hey 19, you know. Uh, it, it does seem to be this strange uh, preoccupation uh, which it's always the the... the, the older man character is always someone who's more successful, more wealthy, right? More connected. And then it just sort of seems that, oh, the, the obvious reward for all this wealth is, is, is a young, very young girlfriend, right? And that's a whole other issue. Where, where's, where's that all coming from? Is it just pure lust or is it the ultimate status symbol? You know, if you have the, uh, the Rolex watch and whatever car that in 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 a, in a society of status symbols you need to have the extremely young girlfriend as as to, to sort of uh, uh, as as just as 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 a status symbol. I don't know. I'm not sure. It just it seems like it's being kind of sold that way, but it doesn't really seem. If you really step back and look at it, it doesn't really seem that. Um. It's it would really be particularly rewarding. On a deeper level, uh, for anyone involved, right? It's probably it's a, it's in a, it's somewhat inappropriate. What do you have to talk about in the song "Hey 19, It's like, "Hey 19, That's Retha Franklin. She don't remember the Queen of Soul. So the idea that you know, young people don't know the older celebrities, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, is it sort of being pushed as as an archetype? in pop culture for various reasons. I don't know. But there's a there's a big trend of that in Woody Allen's work. Whether it's it's his commentary on the shallowness of society or it's his own personal obsession, right? Um again, I'm trying to get to more of his work rather than a scandal, but with us with Suni um they were saying that he was having a relationship with her while she was still in high school, a sexual relationship. Uh, so his characterization that he fell in love with her when she was 21 um, is not particularly... And, and also, he was very much a father figure to her, and one of the more damning pieces of evidence is just all the home movies that Mia Farrow took um, showing Suni as a child and Woody Allen's there as a father figure. You know. Anyway, <laughs> again... <laughs> What about the work itself? So I think that, uh, right, as I was looking at it, it seems that really all it, he, he made some great movies, but then Annie Hall is just, and it still stands, I think, as as one of his best movies, if not his best movie. And, of course, I think one of the best movies ever made. It's on all the lists, and I would definitely say it is just a tour de force. It is a fantastic movie. And I think... There was a string of films in that time period from 77 up till about 89 that, and I think I, ha- let me bring up the, uh, the Woody Allen filmography here, but um, 
that I consider, because again, I have not been like watching every single movie he's made, but I've seen a lot of them. And that seems to be the time period of his best movies, right? So let's see. Yeah, so before 77, the movies that I'm more familiar with, Sleeper, uh, Bananas, Take the Money and Run, basically. And I think I saw What's Up, Tiger Lily. Which must be his previous film, What's New Pussycat, which he wrote. What's New Pussycat? What's Up, Tiger Lily, right? It's, And there must be a connection there. But I wouldn't I would say these movies are... Especially I remember watching Take the Money and Run a long time ago from 69. And uh, that was that's a very funny movie. Uh, then we get to Annie Hall. And then Interiors, which I do think I, I saw in 1978. And then 79, Manhattan. 80, Stardust Memories. Some of these movies I don't... I, like Interiors, Stardust Memories in 80. And 82's Midsummer Night's Sex Comedy. I feel like I've seen these movies maybe once. They haven't leave a huge impression. But Zelig then in 83... I do think we went to the movie theater to see this. Uh, I, I have some memories of seeing it. I would have been about 15 years old, I think. And, uh, yeah, that's a really good movie. That's sort of like a movie about this strange guy who sort of was like a chameleon. He would sort of blend in to whoever he was with. So then there's some movies that have kind of a almost a fantasy angle to them, like Zelig and then uh, A Purple Rose of Cairo um, in 85. So his movies were not all these sort of grand comedy dramas like Annie Hall, but there was a great variety in this time period of, I think, very good movies. Oh, yes. Purple Rose of Cairo. Ah, that that's an unsung and wonderful Woody Allen movie, as is Zelig. I, I, Zelig, it was hard for him to end, you could tell. But what a ride. And at the time, the special effects were so far ahead of their time. Uh, Zelig is a great one. And Purple Rose of Cairo. I mean, just the idea of the guy walking onto the off out of a movie into the real world it was just such a... And uh, what, there was a Schwarzen, last action hero, sort of twisted that same convention and made it into an action movie go figure but yeah that era of Woody Allen I mean like like I said earlier when he was trying to be that really serious filmmaker especially at that time because I was I was in there for the comedy and the yaks and somewhere along the line we have skipped and we should not love and death which of that comedic era as far as a finely constructed consistent film with a great beginning middle and end that's the one uh love and death it's sort of a satire of all the epic russian dramas the tolstoy the dostoevsky uh so many literary references and references to films of these uh works uh, a brilliant a brilliant brilliant movie and again and and i think diane keaton's in that one diane keaton uh don't dismiss her i mean a, a lot of her uh solo stuff uh it was hit and miss she did a the, the first film she directed called heaven was really like oh boy but uh, in the 70s, all of us uh, in early 80s might have been a little uh, out of our bird, so to speak. I really, 
I, I need to talk to Frank about this show because I'm never going to watch it because, like I say, that, that before they made this, and it could all be true, but I, I want to see what he gleaned out of it because, you know, they, everybody's got their narrative. And that, and now I had never heard of the conspiracy theory that the whole thing... But anything's possible. Anything is possible anymore. I mean, with the conspiracy theories and the flow of quote-unquote information, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes it's fun to speculate, and other times it just takes one away and out of what one could be enjoying while you're chewing on whether or not Roman Polanski did this, that, or the other. You could be watching Fearless Vampire Killers, which... Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's you can't watch it because of what you th Roman Polanski did or has been alleged to do or whatever. Uh, but I don't know what up that 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 is such a strange and fun movie. And he's a whole other. I mean, he took the blow a lot harder than uh, Woody Allen. I mean, all of the films he could have made had that at his particular scandal not uh, popped is that's another mystery of time and space uh, that. Uh, yeah, let's hand it back to Frank because uh, I'm about to digress way out of nowhere. And, you know, many of these movies now from this time period, because he met Mia Farrow, I believe, in 79 or 78. And uh, so now this string of movies, I would say his best, in my opinion, his best movies, many of them are starring Mia Farrow, right? So Broadway Danny Rose in 1984, I think especially stands out for me. This is one of his many movies in black and white. And uh, he's, he's a filmmaker that has made a lot of black and white movies, Manhattan as well. And I absolutely love uh, black and white movies and the aesthetic of it. You know, when we talk about uh, radio and television, as I think last at last episode we talked about uh, the end of radio, how you might think that uh, this idea of radio, which is audio, and then television, which has the same audio plus a, an image, it would just be that much better. But I think really, as it turns out, it's a very different medium. The experience, what's created, how it's experienced, everything about it is so different. So that radio... Uh, still has so many aspects that are that are very unique uh, that television doesn't have. I think that black and white movies um, have a lot. You might say, "Well, it's the, a black a color movie is like a black and white movie, but you're adding color." But in a, in a, in a kind of a non-intuitive way, I think there's such a difference in the experience between black and white and color. So I'm very. I, I think that aspect of of his work making movies in black and white is another incredible aspect and wonderful aspect of his work. Um, Broadway Danny Rose is one that really stands out. If I had to choose one movie besides Annie Hall, I would really say Broadway Danny Rose, I think, is phenomenal. It's another. It's a New York story about this sort of hapless um, entertainment agent and talent agent, and he sort of gets involved in this crazy adventure involving the mob and everything. And, you know, Mia Farrow's in this one as well. And... Uh, and I, I remember there's a diner in New York City where they filmed the scene, and I remember going to the diner with my father, and there was a, a booth, the Broadway Danny Rose booth. Um, 
I think that that's another. So again, it's not. It doesn't feel like as big of a movie as Annie Hall, but it's it's really so well made and it's a fantastic movie. Then you get to the Purple Rose of Cairo from '85. That I remember seeing that after the fact. At the, I think I saw it at the Lost Picture Show. It was either that or Radio Days. I saw it at the Lost Picture Show in Union, New Jersey. A cool little movie theater there next to what was the Union Flea Market. What's now a, a Home Depot and a it's between right now where it was is between a Home Depot and and a Whole Foods. It used to be this quirky little movie theater. Um, Purple Rose of Cairo is, is with Mia Farrow and Jeff Daniels as this dashing actor in in the nineteen thirties or forties, and uh, so Mia Farrow is sort of in the movie theater, and then the character comes to life and and steps out of the screen, right. And it's that kind of fantasy uh, story. Uh, that was also very good. Hannah and her sisters. I remember that one very. Uh, seeing that one, that was. Uh, I also remember some scenes were shot in the pageant bookstore. A bookstore I used to go to all the time. Is the second floor of the pageant. That place is long gone. I mean, they shut down that location, which was on Eighth Street or something, and then they they moved to Houston Street briefly. And I don't. I think they they were just finished, but. Uh, you know, so that the New York aspect, you know, my relationship with New York and Woody Allen's relationship with New York is something that, you know, adds to my enjoyment of his films. Um, Radio Days, I don't remember quite as well. September, these are both from 87. 1988, Another Woman, that doesn't ring a bell at all. But then in 1989, Crimes and Misdemeanors really stands out. That's the one with um, Martin Landau and Alan Alda, I think. And uh, really, that was a very good movie. Crimes and Misdemeanors. So then we get to 1990, Alice. I don't really know this one very well. And 91, uh, Shadows and Fog. 1992, Husbands and Wives. And now we're at that 1992 point where um, this whole scandal breaks. And it does seem that while he has made, he continues to make making a movie every year uh, pretty consistently. Um, <clears throat> I don't know that the movies were quite as good. I think some... I think Mighty Aphrodite in 95 was, was quite good. I remember seeing that one. Deconstructing Harry, 97. <laughs> he, he he does an uncredited voice in the movie Ants, the uh, computer animated movie. 1998 Celebrities, uh, 99 Sweet and Low Down. Like, I think I've seen a lot of these movies, but I've only seen them once. Uh, what are some other ones that sort of stand out. I think a very recent one, 2013's Blue Jasmine with the Kate Blanchett. I remember seeing that one. Uh so let me see if he if he's ever like his ever a movie a year. So he has a movie in uh I guess none in 1970 and then none in 1974, none in 1976, none in 81, but then it looks pretty consistent. 92, 93, 94. Yeah. Every year making a movie. I mean, who else does this? I, there's like no one else. 2014, 15, 16, 17. Nothing in 2018, 2019, 2020, and then obviously the pandemic. So he, uh, the next movie after Rifkin's Festival is uh, not out yet. But, <clears throat> yeah. But yeah, he's continued making movies, and even up to this point, with renewed focus. Uh, the the uh, was it, let me see when did Al- Alan V. Farrow that I'm watching come out? That came out February 2021. Wow, 
Yeah, and I I did feel kind of real. I I did feel like I didn't want to watch it because I felt it was going to be sort of an attack piece on Woody Allen. But uh, that was based on my my preconceived notions from the little information that I got again from the headlines. And it is, I mean, it is attacking Woody Allen, but they present a great deal of uh, evidence. Though, as I said, I'm not. It it does feel that. Um, you know, you can take it on. These were all events that happened, and it reflects very badly on Woody Allen. Obviously, if the whole thing was somewhat scripted by higher forces, um, it just is. It's obviously that is obviously an even greater tragedy that uh, still children were abused and uh, and used in this way. But looking at the filmography, I feel like there's a lot of his movies I haven't seen that I probably would really very much enjoy. But it's hard to get away from the scandal, which, uh, you know, and I do think, and I think watching Alan V. Farrow is, it, it, there's a lurid aspect to it, obviously, where, I mean, obviously, true crime has become a massive industry, Um and 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 just uh the voyeuristic quality of 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 hearing about these you know i and i know everyone loves to build celebrities up and they love to see them taken down and that i think is a is is a major kind of uh flaw in society why would you want to you know people are oh these are these are these fat cats these rich, the rich and powerful but see they're going to be taken down a notch, you know. That itself is, I think, a very unhealthy relationship between the viewers. So even me as watching it, I I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to see descriptions of child abuse. I don't want to, to even dwell on the topic. It feels uh, that they're able to sort of frame the content itself, which is, I think, very disturbing and very, uh, something that I, something I would prefer not to be exposed to descriptions of such things that in the context of an investigation or in the context of a celebrity scandal, it's okay to, to hear about that stuff. But yeah, so I, so this already brings up the question, what is the future of Woody Allen? Um, again, as, as a, as absolutely a unique, uh, celebrity, a unique personality from largely the 20th century, but of course still making movies in, you know, one-fifth into the 21st century, right? Right, we're one-fifth through it already. Um, you know, I think it's going to be very interesting to sort of see in 100 years, 200 years, well, are we going to see it? I don't know. Future incarnations or higher selves or whatever. Uh, how, how Woody Allen is viewed in, in, in future times? I think that his work, I do believe, will become more and more valuable as the centuries go on because, right, uh, making films in the 20th century uh, is going to be something where no one can really do it again, right, because of the unique combination of forces from the 20th century, cultural, technological, etc., um, 
I think I think his work is going to be viewed as again increasing value as time goes on, but this stain will also have to be mentioned uh, in any uh, discussion of Woody Allen. So, in the context of it being a conspiracy to cause trauma in society, every time you talk about oh this wonderful creative soul Woody Allen, we have to hear about the terrible things that he did. It's sort of attached, or can we do, t- I, I was thinking, can I just even talk about without talking about this, but it's kind of hard. Um, the one other thing I want to mention is that uh, in 92, when this news broke, uh, Howard Stern on his radio show was just relentless in making fun of Woody Allen, and he had this guy, Steve the Engineer, I think it was his name, who sounded very much like Woody Allen, just in the normal way he talked. So he would use this guy and uh, just really the most... I, 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 I listened to a little bit of it. It was sort of unbelievable that this was on the radio, the kind of uh, uh, humor they were using. <laughs> uh, really just making... Really, uh, you know, like making fun of Asians and pedophilia and things like that and just... I remember listening at the time. It was in, just incredibly funny and entertaining, but very horrific to listen to <laughs> in 2022. But it was like, it was just like a huge, it, I mean, it was a big thing with Howard Stern. He was able to just sort of, um, you, it, you, really, it, it was a, ver- a very uh, <laughs> tough humor. Um, but again, it showed sort of the delight in, taking down a celebrity and, and, uh, you know, anyway, I'm going to, I'm going to keep watching Alan V. Farrow. It's definitely good, but I'm not, I'm trying not, I'm trying to be aware in a meta sense of what it's trying to, the narratives it's pushing and the things that it's saying. Um, I know there's more bombshells to come as I'm only on the third of the four episodes, but anyway, Woody Allen, obviously, as I said, encompassing many, many aspects, still going, um, the highest highs, the lowest lows, well, yeah, very low, uh, but, uh, you know, and a tough, a tough topic, I will admit that I had, uh, recorded this segment yesterday, uh, and I, I now I'm re-recording it because, uh, of all the things I discovered in the course of um, recording it. In, in a rare case, I'm redoing my central completely because um, I feel that it was my first one. I just really didn't know enough of the details and it felt a bit, uh, I, I, it felt like I was, um, what's the best way, kind of tone deaf in terms of talking about the whole issue. Anyway, hopefully this this redone one well, is 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 better, but it's still hard to talk about. Anyways, back to you, PQ. Yeah, I have to do a little self-examination because my tendency is to defend Woody Allen and why. I mean, yeah, I like his movies, but why this tendency? I don't know. I. I haven't the foggiest notion there. Perhaps in some way, I well, he was growing up. You know, he was 
the, the nebbish that, oh, look, a nebbish can be get hot chicks and make movies and be even considered sort of sexy. And I, that, that was my adolescent years. So there, there could be some, just like with Jerry Lewis, I suppose, I have a certain tendency to defend his art and defend him over some of the things he says, has said and done, uh, I don't know. Uh, the, 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 this is a whole new fo- uh, field of reevaluating how uh, celebrities, especially the last few years, because they've become so politicized, we're all, I think, taking a healthy relook at celebrities because, you know. Uh, a great singer is allowed to have whatever political opinions they want, and I'm, I'm probably not going to buy them, even if it's a singer that I like their work. I really don't see the connection, but I can see where I might. I mean, if you're at the right age, but I'm defending somebody here who, I mean, if Woody Allen did even a percentile of the things that uh, have been uh, alleged, I need this. Yeah, that you got to really. But like Frank asked, do we throw all the Frank Sinatra records out because the guy was obviously and at the nicest, an arrogant sleaze ball, uh, and. I mean, I don't want to attack anybody, but nobody has mentioned that Mia Farrow was diddling around with people like Frank Sinatra and Andre Previn, much older than her, when she was very young. Uh, How young has not ever been exactly disclosed to my satisfaction, but I would say she was active with celebrity males before the age of consent herself, which complicates the matter even for, and it, no, it doesn't make any of it right or wrong, uh, but it, it's everything is a lot more complicated. And the more you dig, it, you, you never, if you keep digging, you never find anything that simplifies the whole thing down in my experience. It just gets more snarled and knotted and like, I just don't know. I mean, as far as judging, yeah, you could go either way. And depending what point in my life or even sometimes what time of day you catch me, uh, I might... Uh, <laughs> I might defend one thing or another in some sort of uh, frenzied way because, uh, yeah, that's that's how it works in the PQ River land we live in. Oh, man. This, this, this was something. Oh, and I, I did want to mention a couple other things. The Shadows and Fog film. That's another one of his black and white ones. It's his uh, expressionistic sort of German... I, I like that one. If you haven't seen it, I like shadows and fog and it's another one that he's in and i would classify it towards dark absurdist comedy which 
a a later film. And uh, another uh, figure that hasn't been mentioned that has some parallels is a man named Charlie Chaplin. But he kept coming back. Charlie Chaplin absolutely uh, and almost unashamedly and unapologetically liked younger women. Uh, And... They were very young, 16, 15, 18. I mean, when he was in his 50s, he was marrying uh, J.D. Salinger's. He he stole J.D. Salinger's girlfriend, who Una O'Neill, the daughter of playwright Eugene O'Neill, and married her. And they had some, but... They lived happily ever after, or so. I mean, Una or nor her children have written an expose, at least. Made that, but that could just be the times people just did it, and you didn't do such things. I mean, Hollywood is a celebrity. Questionable practices, uh, and I don't know. It gets tricky. Uh, the way I look at it, if they're of age and consent is involved, uh, you're 90 and she's one day over 18, whatever, <laughs> right? Right. So uh, with that out of the way, and uh, you have the hot topic, huh? and uh, I, I we, we, we did it okay. Uh, hopefully it wasn't too... Uh, these days, you really got to watch it. Uh, and yeah, only Frank and Jad were even brave enough to go near it. So a special thanks to them. Because, uh, yeah, without them, here would have I been, who knows, going on and on defending endlessly uh, or something. I, I, I really don't know what would have happened there. But uh, we pick up information, even I pick up information and can develop my, I mean, who has an opinion and it just stays still. Uh, yeah, I, I was, I, I've had some opinions that today I look at myself and I think, yeah, really. Uh, but I hope we all do. I mean, the change in a certain ways is good, isn't it? Uh, anyways, we, we, we do this show uh, back to every week, because that is the intention, and that's what we've done more or less for a long time, a very, very long time, like 12 years. Yeah, we passed our uh, 12th anniversary uh, without any acknowledgement, but, you know, I, I, I'm bad at that. Uh, but, yeah, uh, congratulations, Overnightscape Underground. We made it. 12 years on the Overnightscape Central, and yeah, I, I skipped a week, but uh, we're, we're all back, and you will be back, because we've got a, a juicy topic that uh, hopefully will be, I mean, there's some controversies involved, but next week on the Overnightscape Central, we're going to talk about Internet 2022. Uh, yeah, what's uh, the Internet? Uh, just Briefly, the thought that comes to mind is I used to go to so many different sites all over the Internet. And now 
the number of different destinations I go to contracts and contracts. I mean, recently there's been a little um, out. I've been outreaching a little, but generally speaking, uh, everything is being contained in smaller and smaller hubs. Uh, and that's what comes to mind immediately. But internet. 2022 next week right here and uh, i am cordially inviting you to participate in said uh and and boy it's another holiday weekend so um yeah uh, just toss something down and send it to me if you would be so kind and if not it'll be frank and i and uh, whoever else got bored and didn't get invited to a barbecue or something because uh, yeah the deadline for the uh next show is july 4th itself yeah and uh maybe i'll just do it on the 4th because i don't usually festivity things out but july 4th and get it to me by about 7 p.m mountain time and uh, you will be assured of inclusion in this uh, upcoming extravaganza because it will be we'll be extravaganzing it out all about our uh, internet our internet uh, where we sort of, well i feel like i often live on the internet and uh, maybe i do it's it's just it's when I get go away for too long, I get anxious. I get homesick. So how you participate? You got something to write this all down? Uh, like I said, you have till uh, next Monday at seven, and uh, the email address for you to send your audio recording or a link to the audio recording, or if you type something out, you don't wanna, your mic shy, you don't wanna talk. I'll read it on your behalf. The email address, yes, sir, K. P Q R dot T O R C at Gmail dot com. That's right. K P Q R dot T O R C at Gmail dot com. And uh, as you can send comments and what have you too. Uh, that's the official Overnightscape Central and Quake Reversal Satellite email. And uh, with that, um, I am appreciative that you stuck with us through this, if you're hearing this. And, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let, let's remember that it's important, and we all should, right now, go over to that control panel and set the controls for the heart of the fun.